Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Here's today's message from Zach Gagler. How are you tonight? Are you well? How are you up the back? That's good. Hello to our online family. So glad you're joining us tonight. It's great to be joining with you. And um, I hope you've had a good week. We've had a bit of a crazy week. Um, This week, gastro hit our house and all four of us experienced symptoms in both directions. Thank you, I was looking for the right word. Um, So it's been a pretty crazy week, um, but we're here to tell the tale. And last week I spoke about storms of life, and I guess God was testing my resolve, whether I practice what I preach, and God sent a storm of gastro to our house, and uh, we, we live to tell a tale, we're well, it's been a great week, um, and I'm excited tonight to share the Word of God with you, and have a pri- the privilege of speaking um, two weeks in a row, and tonight I want to bring a part two message to what I preached last week. How many of you were here last week? Can you give me a wave? Yep, right. The, yep, cool. A bunch of people. So last week I, speak on, I spoke on storms. Yep, we're going to get my English right tonight. I spoke on storms. And, and tonight I want to bring a part two, but let's recap first. As the um, Netflix shows say, previously on Encouragement in the Storm. <laughs> so previously, um, we spoke about how life's most enjoyable journeys can be rudely interrupted by unexpected storms. We talked about how the fact that storms, be they you know, financial, relational, emotional, or circumstantial, storms aren't a matter of if they happen, it's more when they happen. Storms are inevitable in our life, and at some point in our journey, we're gonna face a storm. And I know, looking around, like I said last week, and people that I spoke to this morning, I mean, there are a bunch of people in our church going through significant storms, significant personal storms, and the storm that we're in as a church. So storms are a reality of life. And I talked about last week how it's not so much about the cards that were dealt in life, but it's how we choose to play the hand that we've been dealt. In other words, You can't always control the storm, but you can control how you respond to the storm. So how we choose to navigate the storms of life will often determine whether we sink or swim, whether we survive or whether we're broken by the storms. And uh, to explain this, we looked at Paul's journey um, on the ship in Acts chapter 27. And um, he faced a significant storm of his own. And out of that passage, we drew some encouragement for the storms of our own. Do you remember what they were? Um, The first one that we talked about, God's encouragement. Thanks, Aaron. I'm glad that you take notes. Um, If you didn't take notes last week, now might be a good time. I'm going to give you the message from last week in one minute flat. Um, God's encouragement to you in the storm is firstly that you're not alone. So God has placed you in the body of Christ, a family, a group of people that can stand alongside you, that you can lean on in the midst of trial. Like that song, lean on me, you know, when I'm, when you're not strong, I'll be a friend. That's beautiful, isn't it? Secondly, we talked about how God's presence is with you in the storm, how the Holy Spirit inhabits and resides within us. So you can roar like a lion in the midst of the storm because there's a lion roaring in you. So God's presence is with you in the storm. Thirdly, we talked about how you belong to God in the storm. Okay, so 
Sometimes we feel like a lost possession, like He's misplaced us, but you still belong to God. You're still His possession. And He's gonna do everything that He can to chase after you and love you. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from His love for you. So you belong to Him in the storm. Fourth, we talked about how you can serve Him in the storm. And I gave you a challenge that in the midst of what you're facing, don't stop serving God. Don't stop Tap, don't tap out and retreat, but keep serving, keep loving, keep stepping out. If you're not dead, you're not done serving the presence of God coming to this space. Fifth, we talked about how God provides protection and safety. So you might feel the thunder, you experience the lightning, you feel the rain and the wind on your face, but God protects you and promises to protect you and keep you safe. Lastly, my favourite, we talked about how God gives you faith to stand in the storm. We talked about that what if spirit, not oh, what if that happens, but what if God comes through? What if He does bring breakthrough? What if He does restore? What if He does redeem? The what if spirit that God's voice calms every storm. All right, hope you got it. But we're only halfway through the story, hence part two. We only got to halfway through Acts chapter 27 and we left Paul and we didn't even get to the shipwreck yet. So tonight we're going to the shipwreck, all right? Acts chapter 27, verse 27. This is a long passage of Scripture. So follow along on the screens or um, try and stay focused. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped away to the line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found that it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid that they would be soon driven uh, against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. So you have been worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. Um, Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread. He gave thanks to God before them all and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat all 276. You know, I often think that there's like only four people in this story, but there was 276 people on the ship. And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. And there they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail and headed towards the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck, uh, stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. Hopefully not the verse of the day that you want to be waking up to in the morning. Like we talked about, you know, the idea that the ship is falling apart and we're all going to die. But tonight I want to give you part two of encouragement in the storm. Last week we talked about God's encouragement to us. If you like the vertical reality of God's encouragement to us. But tonight I want to talk about our encouragement to others in the storm. And how God actually calls us and mandates us as believers to help other people going through the storms of life. If you like a horizontal reality. And that 
reality, that dual reality of vertical and horizontal is happening throughout this passage in Acts chapter 27. The first half is about Paul's encounter and his experience with God via the angel. The second half is about Paul's commitment and his responsibility to everyone on board. And so while Paul's reactions were super faithful and filled with faith, his actions, what he did, actually helped people survive the storm. And just like Paul, whether you like it or not, we're all on a boat together. And the people to the left and the right of us are God's blessing to us in this season. And how we respond and how we act in the storm will help or hinder the people around us in how we navigate the storms of life. Now, before we unpack this message and draw out some principles from this passage, I wanna just make an important pastoral note. And um, that is simply that you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. In other words, it's very hard to love people with the love of God if you haven't first experienced and been filled with the love of God. It's very hard to give peace to people if you haven't first experienced the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in your own heart. It's very hard to encourage others without first being encouraged yourself. You know, when you're um, in an aeroplane, which many of us probably haven't been in for a while, but at the start, before you take off, they do a safety demo. And in that safety demo, it explains that the, in, a, in an emergency, the oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling. And what do they tell you to do? The first thing they say is to put the oxygen mask on yourself. Now, there's an important reason as to why they tell you to do that, because if you're out helping everybody else as the plane is going down, you're going to run out of oxygen and you're not going to be able to help anybody because you're going to be dead. D-E-D. All the young people like that. In the same way, if we aren't taking care of our own soul in the stormy seasons, eventually you're going to burn out. And you're not going to be able to help anybody. You're going to run out of gas and shipwreck your own soul. King David understood this. In the book of Samuel, um, there's a story where the Amalekites raid the city of Ziglag. Everybody say Ziglag. Man, if I had a city, I'd call it Ziglag. I reckon that's a cool name. So they take captive all of the people in the city, including all the women and children. And the Amalekites burn the city to the ground. And uh, the Bible says that when David and his army rocked up, um, it says this, it says that they raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. I wonder if you've ever been in a season like that, in a circumstance like that, where you wept to the point that you didn't even have any more strength to weep anymore. The Bible tells us that David was deeply distressed and troubled, but before he made any decision, it explicitly says, before he made any decision, David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. Encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. So before you try and attend to the problem, it's important that you encourage and strengthen yourself in the Lord. Some of us are so overwhelmed with worry, it's time to turn that worry into worship. It's time to turn that worry into prayer and encourage yourself in the Lord so that you can be an encouragement to others in the midst of the storm. So we can only encourage others with what is first imparted to us. So if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go and podcast it, YouTube it, go and find it. Because this tonight is part two about others, but it's important that you're taking care of your own soul. So tonight, as we go into this message, I want you to understand that the disposition for us is the oxygen mask on. Amen. 
We have the oxygen mask on, we're taking care of our soul, and now we're able to help others. So while Paul's reactions were full of faith, but his actions were the things that helped people survive the storm, what were they? What did Paul do in this shipwreck that helped people and encouraged people to survive the storm that they were in? Well, I think God wants to say a few things to us tonight. And uh, the first thing is this, we encourage others in the storm when we stop and pray. When we stop and pray. Acts 27 verse 29 says, Fearing that we'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. When was the last time you stopped what you were doing to pray for someone? When was the last time you dropped anchor and prayed? (laughs) Maybe God by His Spirit put someone on your heart. Maybe you had a hard situation happen or you received some bad news. When was the last time you stopped to pray? You know, I think one of the most encouraging things we can do in the midst of the stormy seasons and to encourage others in the storm that they're in is to stop and pray with them. You know, on our own, we're unable to rescue people, but with the power of God that is available to each of us in Christ Jesus, we can stop and pray and ask for God's intervention in that situation. It's really interesting, you know, this passage, this is the sailors dropping anchor and praying. So they weren't praying to the God that we know. Isn't it interesting that it's hardwired in our humanity to pray? (laughs) But we can draw on the God of all heaven, the God of all creation, The Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. So we can stop and pray in situations and stormy seasons. You know, um, I this year have been volunteering my time at a local football club, at Perth Football Club, the Waffle Club. It's been super fun and uh, great to get out. And amongst the people, we did well. We made the finals last year. I mean, this year, uh, it's still 2020. Oh my goodness. We're almost there, people. (laughs) And uh, it's been really great to get outside of, I guess, the church world. Often when you're a pastor, you can kind of get sucked into this vortex of um, the church bubble. And so it's been great to get out and be amongst regular people and just help them with life. So my role is a chaplain. And uh, so I talk with the players and the coaches and the staff about all the problems that they may be facing in life. And as you can imagine, at an elite football club, there's quite a lot. Um, There's a lot of challenges that they face um, from financial ruin to um, relational breakdowns to addiction, drug and alcohol addictions. Um, There's a huge problem with performance. You know, obviously they live game to game and want to get a game. And so often when they get dropped, it's just a massive insecurity drop. And so there's a whole lot of things that I'm walking through with them. And uh, most of the time um, I try and help as best I can, but I'm only human. There's only so much I can do. I'm just an ear to to listen, I guess. But most of the time in the conversations, we'll get to a point where I'll just say, hey, do you mind if we just stop and pray? It's really interesting. Like most of them don't know Jesus. They don't believe what I believe. But I tell you what, they're pretty open to stopping and praying. They're pretty open to drawing on the God of all creation, my God, and asking for help. I wonder, do you stop and pray with people? It's really interesting because then my time as a pastor and being involved in the church, often I have people in church coming with the same problems, um, similar kind of situations. And often when I ask, so have you prayed about this? Have you taken it to God? The majority of the time, the answer is no. I find that interesting, hey? That we have this beautiful resource called prayer that often we just don't tap into. 
And obviously I'm happy to stop and pray with anybody. And if you need that tonight, I'm happy to stop and pray with you. (laughs) But I wanna encourage us as believers, we can encourage others in the storm when we choose to stop and pray. It's a choice that we can make to pause the conversation. So when you hear fear rising up, when you hear challenging circumstances, just say, hey, can we stop and pray? When God puts a person on your heart, when you wake up and you have that person pop into mind, just stop and pray for them. When you're faced with challenging news, call the room and say, hey, can we just stop and pray about this? You know, we do this as a staff team um, all the time. When we hear challenging news in the middle of a staff meeting or in the middle of something, we just say, hey, let's just stop and pray right now. So God's encouragement to us is to stop and pray for people in the storm. You know, it's really interesting. I'm not sure if you caught the first half of that verse, but it says that they dropped anchor and prayed because they feared that they would be dashed against the rocks. So the reason that they stopped to pray was because of fear. And I think God in this passage is reminding us that the way to deal with the fear in our heart is simple. Turn the worry into prayer. Turn the worry into petition before God. Paul talks about this later in his ministry in Philippians 4. It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Not some things, not one thing, (laughs) everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love that. Turn your worry into prayer. Take your petitions to God and then God will supply peace that surpasses our understanding. So stop and pray. I need it. You need it. We all need it. Amen. Second, we encourage others in the storm when we stay together. Everybody say, stay together. So verse 30 says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. You know, in the midst of a storm, often we try and make an escape. (laughs) A little bit like prison break, you know, like we try and make an escape when things get hard. Sometimes it's a loud escape. It's like, see ya, I'm out. You know that person that leaves the WhatsApp group because things get a little bit emotional? Like, I'm out. (laughs) But sometimes, like this passage, we make a sneaky escape. Ooh, I'm busy that day. I'm washing my hair. Or I need to mow the lawn. Or you know that friend that texts when, you know, they text you and it's like... um, an episode of Prison Break, I don't know, it's like something really dramatic and every time that text comes through, you're like, I'm just gonna step away and not reply. I don't know, maybe I'm just the only bad person in the room. Um, But, you know, we call that ghosting and and it's a sneaky escape. We've got to pay attention to these escapism behaviours that we have in our life. You know, it's perfectly normal to want to escape in stressful situations. Modern science tells us that this is normal human behaviour. So we have in our brains a biological and neurological response, which is called the fight or flight response, right? And uh, that helps us stave off life-threatening situations by removing the threat, by running away from the threat. But what's interesting is that modern science tells us that we don't just process life-threatening situations through this response. We process non-threatening life situations as well that are stressful. 
So things like traffic jams, work pressure, family difficulties, all of these can lead to constant stress that leads us to mental and physical challenges. And so staying with the medical advice, the doctors tell us that we can counteract this stress response in three ways. Firstly, through relaxation response. It's really interesting that we just talked about stopping and praying because that's essentially what the doctors tell us to do. They say to calm your breathing, to focus on something and pray a repetitive prayer or a repetitive statement. I love that. Science has proven what we know in faith. Secondly, it tells us to get physical exercise and that releases endorphins that release tension and release and stifle the buildup of stress in our lives. And thirdly, this is really interesting, is that they tell us to reduce stress and stop the fight or flight response, do social support and connection. Reading from Harvard Health Review, it says this, confidence, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, relatives, spouses, and companions all provide a life-enhancing social net and may increase our longevity. It's not clear why, but the buffering theory holds that people who enjoy close relationships with family and friends receive emotional support that indirectly helps them to sustain them at times of chronic stress and crisis. Isn't that cool? That science is telling us what we've known as the people of God for millennia, that community matters, that we're better together, that we need to stay together, that it has psychological and physiological effects on our body when we stay together. But I think it's also good for our spirit too. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 10. He said, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope. I love that. You know, it's really hard to encourage someone with words of hope when you don't know them or you never meet with them. I know it sounds simple, but the regularity and the rhythm of meeting as a church is critical in order to speaking hope into people's lives. It's, it's critical in order to speak encouragement to one another. You can't encourage someone that you rarely know, I don't think. So we encourage each other when we stay together. So my encouragement is this, is in the midst of the storm or the stormy seasons that others are facing in your life, be present with them. Don't retreat, don't hide, don't ghost them. <laughs> don't take yourself out of the group. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is the commission and the call of the church of Jesus. One last note on this point. You know, sometimes in stormy seasons or the seasons that other people in your life are going through, um, we can be pushed away from healthy environments and sucked and propelled towards unhealthy spaces. You know, the things that you faced before you came to Jesus or the things that you're trying to get away from, inevitably you get sucked into in these challenging times. Bad company, addictions, terrible decisions, and I think Paul has a word of encouragement for us with this in verse 31. He says this, Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and it drift, let it drift away. You know, in the storm that you're in or someone close to you is in, it might be time to cut the ropes. You know that contact on your phone that's leading you to addiction? that's leading you to dark places, that friendship that's taking you away from Jesus, that credit card that's just racking up debt that you need to cut up. It's time to cut the ropes or cut that card up. It's time to cut the ropes. And only until you cut the rope will you truly be able to continue to trust God 
Because the temptation of jumping on that lifeboat and abandoning ship will always be there until you cut the ropes. So it might be time, friends, for a tough love conversation with someone in your world to encourage them in the storm by telling them it's time to cut the ropes. It's time to remove that thing from your life because the temptation of jumping there will be too great without cutting the ropes. Can you say amen? Number three, we encourage people in the storm when we attend to practical needs. Attend to practical needs. Verse 33 says, Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything, and now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. None of you will lose a single hair from his head. I love here that Paul attends the practical needs of the people on the ship, all 276 of them. He's interested not just in the emotion that they're experiencing, but in the everyday realities that they need, the things that sustain them. You know, sometimes in the midst of the storm or the storm that your friends are facing, one of the most encouraging things you can do is give someone a nice cooked meal. You know, I love mum's cooking in challenging times. Anybody else? Yeah, it's so encouraging for our heart. This makes me think of, you know, Elijah in 1 Kings. He has this incredible encounter with God where he stands up to all the prophets and fire comes down from heaven. But then the very next chapter, it says Elijah's running in fear of his life. And what happens? God, under a broom tree, provides bread and water for Elijah. And he tells Elijah, get up and eat. It's time to eat the bread. It's time to drink the water and restore your spirit. You know, I love that God is interested in our physical state. God is interested in how we're going, physically speaking, not just spiritually. And so one of the most encouraging things we can do for people in the storm is attending to their practical needs. You know, one of the things I think Christian community that I love most for is mum's cooking. We call them the Riverview aunties here at church. You know, anyone being blessed by the Riverview aunties, we just have just these amazing people on staff that every time, and in our, in our community, not just on staff, um, of people, every time that someone's going through a challenging time, people rise up just to cook meals, just to bless, just to encourage. And it's one of the most encouraging things in this season. You know, um, in the week that we've had, someone sent us an Uber Eats voucher. I mean, we were going through gastro, so maybe not like applicable. But regardless, it was super encouraging. You know, attending to practical needs is a key part of what we're called to do as believers. Again, I know it's simple, but it's profound when we do it. This has always been a part of the church's story. Listen to what the early church said in Acts chapter four. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I love this passage. You know, I obviously love that there was no needy person among them. That is a beautiful picture. Imagine if we as a church could experience that. But I love how they met the need. A bunch of people took personal responsibility to meet the needs of others to sacrifice, to sell what they had in order that no needy person among them would be there. You know, one of the mistakes I think I make in living this out of attending to practical needs is that I um, tend to text people or call people and just say, hey, so sorry going through that time. Um, Just let me know. I'm here to help. Let me know if there's anything I can do. I know about you, whether you do that, but that's tend to what I do. And, and most of the time, people don't really take me up on the offer. I think because people don't want to impose. 
you know, on others, or they don't really know how to ask for help. But I think the better question and the more Acts church, the early church question where there was no need among them would be, what would I want if I were in their shoes? What would I appreciate if I was in their shoes? And I think that's the better question for us to ask. In stormy seasons of those that are around us, that people are going through, ask, what would I like if I was in their shoes? You know, this is why I love our duo program, Do Unto Others, what we would love done to us in that situation. It's why I love our green teams, our street teams, our CVS, our ER program. They put love in action, in practical terms, to meet the needs of others. Are you still with me? So, in the storm, encourage others by attending to their practical needs. Number four, we encourage others in the storm when we set a good example. So Paul didn't just encourage them to eat or tell them to eat and attend to their needs, but he modeled eating. Verse 35 says, After this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food himself. So Paul did three important things. Firstly, he prepared. He got the bread together. He organized it. Secondly, he prayed in front of everybody. He modeled what it meant to give thanks to God, even in the face of those who didn't believe. And then thirdly and importantly, he modeled what it meant to eat. He showed the way. He opened the door. I don't know if you noticed, but it's, the Bible says that they didn't eat until Paul started to eat. And so our example is so important. We all know the statement that our actions speak louder than our words, right? You know, the reality is that people will follow your example more than your advice. You know, let me illustrate it like this. So imagine my wife. Um, My wife got together my two boys and she said, boys, you know what? I have something to tell you. I want to talk to you about the fact that cockroaches will not hurt you. Cockroaches are harmless, but they're rodents and they do need to be killed, but they will not harm you. You are 200 times bigger than that cockroach. You can slap that cockroach with a shoe or with a tissue or with a hammer. You can get that cockroach. And so she gives a pep talk to my boys and reminds them that you are bigger and you are stronger than that cockroach. But then when she sees the cockroach, she screams and she shrieks and she jumps on the table and she poops her pants. It's the gastro. (laughs) On one hand, she says that cockroaches are harmless. But what she does demonstrates that you need to put TNT under the house and blow the whole thing up. All right? There's a gap between... (laughs) what she says and what she does. Your actions speak louder than your words. And my boys are confused whether cockroaches can hurt or whether they're harmless. (laughs) Listen, I wonder if you're frustrated about someone in your life that isn't following your advice, but perhaps they're following your example more than your advice. Mm. Maybe they're following what you're doing, not what you're saying. And it's important that we understand that in the midst of stormy season, we are called by God to set a good example. A good example, a faithful example, a loving example. The Apostle Paul talks about this later in his ministry when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, don't let anyone think less of you because you were young. 
Be an example to all believers in what you say and how you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Listen, your example speaks louder than your words. So what you say and how you live matters in all seasons of life. You know, how many of you know that our faith is better lived out than just spoken about? As uh, Francis of Assisi, Saint Francis rather, um, he once said, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. Mm, I love that. Live out the gospel. And if necessary, preach it as well. <laughs> so we encourage others in the storm when we set a good example. Lastly, we encourage others in the storm when we remember that God is faithful when we remember His faithfulness. Verse 41 to 44 of Acts chapter 27 says this, They hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure that none of them swam ashore and escaped. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. He ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. The final encouragement for us and to others in the midst of the storm that they face is that no matter how long the storm may last or how bad the storm may get, no storm lasts forever. The storm you're in or others are in will end and God's faithfulness will endure in the name of Jesus. You know, the writer to the Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, the promise for tomorrow can be evidenced on what He did yesterday. And you know, amongst our community, we have so many stories of God's faithfulness. We have people who have been healed, people who have been set free from addiction, people who have journeyed through unbelievable loss and are still standing today to tell a tale. People who came finding, wanting religion, but came into relationship with Jesus. People who have experienced breakthrough in financial and emotional circumstances. People who have gone in all of us, who have moved from sinner to saint. We all have a story. And all of our stories point to the faithfulness of God. But all of our stories are unique, hey? While the faithfulness of God may be common, all of them are unique. I'm not sure if you caught um, what happened, but some of them had to swim to shore and some of them just had to hold on to the debris floating through the ocean. We must not make the mistake in remembering God's faithfulness that God's faithfulness looks like a one size fits all for everybody. It looks different for different people. And I can tell you in my years as a pastor that God's faithfulness looks different and is unique for each person. But luckily we serve a God who is faithful and is faithful to save, and is faithful to, uh, to rescue and to protect. That's our God. The common denominator in all of our stories, the thing woven through the tapestry of our song and our story as a community is Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds us together. Jesus is the one who we're united around. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And all storms must bow to the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you with this last piece of Scripture from Mark's Gospel. It says this, They took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving crowds behind, although all other boats followed. Soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. Into the, what the? 
What did I just say? The booger. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're gonna drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. A couple of points I wanna make here. Firstly, we would do well to remember that in the midst of the storm or the storm that others are going through, that Jesus slept on a pillow. That's not to say that Jesus is inattentive to what you're going through or He's sleeping while you struggle. It's to say that Jesus's posture is one of peace. And to voyage with Jesus through this life is to voyage with peace. He's not surprised by what you're going through. It doesn't shock Him. He's completely aware, but He's also completely calm. And so you can have peace. Don't be surprised in the midst of the storm. If you have a peace that surpasses all understanding because you're journeying with the person of peace, the Prince of Peace Himself. Secondly, and most importantly, Jesus is teaching the disciples in this passage that it's not enough to know about the promise of God. You've got to come to the person of the promise. It's not enough to know about it. You've got to come to the person of the promise. You know, the context of this passage is that the disciples saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus set people free from demons. He saw Jesus restore lives. But still, after all that they had seen and all that they had known and all that they had experienced, they were still given to fear. It's not enough to know about the promises of God in the midst of the storm. You've got to come to the person who is the promise. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is good in every circumstance. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the person of the promise of God. As C.S. Lewis wrote, I love this from mere Christianity. If you want to get warm, you've got to stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the very thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if He choose, hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will get you wet. If you are not, you will remain dry. Listen, the best thing we can do for others in the storm is point them to Jesus. Encourage them to draw near to Jesus. Jesus is faithful to save. Jesus is faithful to comfort. Jesus is faithful to restore. Come on. Jesus is faithful to provide. Jesus is faithful to bring hope in every circumstance and situation. As that beautiful hymn writes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Can you say amen? So in the storm you're in, in the storm that others around you are facing, be an encouragement in that. Be an encouragement by stopping and praying. Be an encouragement, stay together, attend to their practical needs. 
set a good example and remember His faithfulness. Listen, while the circumstances around us may swirl, God's faithfulness is secure in Christ Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet tonight? If you were encouraged by today's message, we'd love to stay connected. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using. To experience other messages, videos, live gatherings, or find out how you can belong at Riverview, visit us online at riverviewchurch.com.